It's Barely in Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. Welcome to Barely in Topic. This is episode 510. We're going to talk about Bruins stuff, I think. I'm VA, and I'm here with Jeff. Yo. And Tim. Hello, hello. <laughs> you know what, guys? There was like so much that happened this week and so much that didn't happen this week. I don't even know where to start. There's like, uh, I don't feel like we had like a huge lot of Bruins news itself. Like, there's really only two events that are like really noteworthy from this week on the Bruins news front. One is uh, John Moore is back for what that's worth. Yep. <laughs> hey, he at least got one assist, so. He did. I and mean, he, you know, he did, he did, uh, you know, uh, uh, fight Zach Smith for, uh, oh, for being a dick. Yep. Um, and then and I guess the other one is uh, today being December 8th. Um, Steve Kampfer has been uh, put on uh, on waivers. Oh, that's right. Uh, I hope he's not claimed. I don't. He's got another year after this year. For that reason, I think he won't be. Because is someone really going to claim him to just be their seventh defenseman? I mean, yes, actually, but like you know, you have pointed out other teams that have defensive needs. And what if, like, Toronto got it in their heads if they could possibly do this? Because I have no idea where they are up against Cap. It ain't good. <laughs> and what if, what if Toronto said, hey, he's cheap enough. Let's let's get that guy. I don't want that. He doesn't deserve that. That's mean. No, he doesn't deserve that. Like, like cause Steve, Cam- Steve Kempfer is the definition of a good soldier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he does what he's asked, which appears to mostly involve um uh, per, uh, serving nachos to, to Sweeney and, uh, and 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 Neely. Someone's got to do it. I mean, they're paying. He's 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 making a fair bit of money to be to 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 to, to be on nacho duty duty permanently. I personally so think like, that you know, uh, Sweeney enjoys popcorn, but yeah, Neely's definitely hitting the nachos. Hard. Mm, he's getting <sighs> a little he's getting a little jowly, isn't he? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I I wish they were. Uh revocable waivers so they could take him back if someone claimed him that would be nice there is a new tater tot thing on the concourse tater tots you say I mean, it doesn't even matter what they're putting on them it's good because they're tater tots right well i heard a critique of them i have not tried them myself ben's tried them he said they were good so i i did not have enough room in my stomach to try those yesterday but uh by all accounts i hear that they're good they're tater tots and sometimes they put some stuff on them i would personally love a tater tot poutine oh trust me tater tot poutine's great because everything's the same size and shape <laughs> so, so so it integrates better than it does with fries right 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 and because they fry them up they're 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 a little crispier to begin with than just fries like fries you have to double fry them yes you do after parboiling, which no one ever remembers to do, you got to get that extra starch out. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, so that's the problem with just regular fries. But the, but the, the, the tater tots are already crispy, so that poutine's going to work very well. Okay, so anyway, I think that he is hitting those hard. That's what it is. It's it's those uh, po- those tater tot nachos or whatever the hell they are. That's what Neely is hitting hard. It's the tots. That seems fair. I mean, yeah. It was so funny because Ben Ben and I went to, I think it was the Panthers game, and we walked in. He's like, that wasn't there. 
Like I was here on Sunday and that wasn't here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's a, yeah. So somebody's got to do it. Serve the nachos, tater tots and popcorn. Right. Camphor. Interesting. I'm, I'm a little partly surprised to see camphor on waivers before Richie, but like, I guess the front office still sees something there. They see that he's lurch and that everyone's complaining that, I mean, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but taking a run at pasta. So we got to have lurch in there. Derp. <laughs> I had no idea that Dion Phaneuf was on our team. <laughs> <laughs> you rang. <laughs> Sorry, he just looks like Lurch to me. You know what? That's a very interesting thing that you just said, Tim, and it's going to lead into something that I'm going to say right now. Matt Hellman had something about the runs on pasta. Boy, that sounds really bad. So did Ty. This is this is a thing right now because Ty and Fluto both wrote about it as well. But we'll focus on Hellman's. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read what I have. You guys can chip in with what other people have said, and we can talk about it. So Mac Hellman had this uh, to say. This was after I believe the Thursday night game. This isn't about the Bruins lacking physicality or intimidation. Don't start tweeting and emailing about the Bruins needing to add a Tom Wilson type player who doesn't exist or isn't available or a Milan Lucic or a Zach Ronaldo. The 80s called or maybe it was the 2000s and they want your caveman instincts back. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Ty was vicious. (laughs) (laughs) What this is about the likes of Sean Crowley, David Backus, Chris Wagner, Charlie McAvoy, and Brandon Carlo setting the physical tone early so that if teams still want to take runs at Pasternak, their best players are also going to feel some pain. Backus acknowledged the plan after the loss to Chicago. This is from Backus. I think the new NHL way is to prevent it. If that's how they're going to play and Pasternak's a big kid, he can hold his own then Patrick Kane needs to be hit forcefully and not given any space, and maybe he has to have a few liberties taken at him, Boston's alternate captain said. It's incumbent on the rest of us to recognize that that happening and then hit their skill to see who's going to last or maybe their skill set is to take it easy on him. So basically, yeah, Bacchus is acknowledging like, hey, we really have to go after their skill guys and, and just hit them. Just let them know that... Hey, uh, we see you. <laughs> we know what you can do. We're just going to hit you. <laughs> also, like he said, Pasta's a big dude. Like when he came in the league, he was a string noodle. Well, like he's turned himself into more of like, you know, a penne. Got those penny arms instead of those noodle arms. The penne he, ricotte. He, he, he's got some muscle on him. So, I mean, like he said, he can handle himself and I mean, at the end of the day, Pasta still has 25 goals on the year. He's he's fine. What's really interesting is uh, this summer, Pasta spent some time with the uh, New England Revolution. And he's in the, the kit. He's dressed like a soccer player. And when he stands right next to the soccer players, they're all about the same height. But his body looks so different than theirs. Because think about it. Soccer players need long, lean muscles for the most part. They're not going to bulk up. So their bodies are very different. He has got a very stout core. Okay. It's like it, you look at him in the kit and he looks almost 
fat, but it's like, you know, that's not it. You know, it's just all muscles, but it's just, he looks so different. He's some, I think that I saw some refer to Oscar Steen as this. He's built like a fire hydrant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the hockey players are, are really built, even if you don't see it all the time. But like my point is the case of Steen, he's not that tall, but he's, you can't tip him over. Yeah. Steen's like five to nine. I think he's like Martian height. So like a Nolachari type. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, what Bacchus had to say about it. Sure. Pasta, you know, he can take some hits, but you only want that to happen every so often. What this week we saw teams doing was going after him. It, even in that Montreal game where basically Gallagher had words with him, you know, they'd been taking liberties with him all game. And then Gallagher was supposed to cross check him off that face off. And he failed to do so. And then Shea Weber just grabbed his jersey and hauled him down. <laughs> and got called for the penalty, as he should have. And then I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That was... <laughs> it was so funny because it's like, wow, that was stupid. That was the stupidest shit I've seen in a long time. Speaking of that Montreal game, while watching it, I was absolutely convinced we were watching the Bruins fire Claude Julien for a second time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and somehow it hasn't happened. I know. What is their response? They wave Keggy. They wave Keith Kincaid. <laughs> Let's blame some guy for this. <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, he's a backup goalie. <sighs> now, go me wrong. Having a shitty backup goaltender's gotten Claude fired before, because that's what happened in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, study. Is that really what happened with in Boston? Well, or... no, what it is, is he, he had. That's that's a big part of it, and I think I've I've seen some of the some some of the, the the reporters describe it this way too. Is a big part of what Claude got Claude fired is he couldn't trust his backups. Um, clearly his last backup, Hudobin, he misjudged, but basically he hadn't trusted a backup since um this um, is since Trey Sarah since Chad Johnson. I mean, like it wasn't a, it wasn't really a great murderer's row of backups here. I'm sorry, Tim, but, you know, Svedberg, Gustafsson, oh, and, you know, that brief stint where they waved Dobby and called up Zane, which didn't go terribly well either. No. <laughs> Look, I will support Tim's love, his irrational love of players, because I do the same thing. It's fine. But I think that a lot of it was that Claude got really fucking stale. Well, there's the thing too. Yeah, oh yeah, the, the the team was clearly starting to tune him out anyway. But I think it was think I've seen both Kalman and Ty say that a big part of it was that because he was and maybe and this is a lot of this is a lot of viewing it from aftermath is why he was ha- no longer having success. He didn't trust his backups. To be fair, the backups were per- he had a parade of backups that gave him no reason to trust them, and he ground Rask into dust because of it. Yeah, you know, Tuka Rask, ground, uh, ground is not the ideal way to use that. You know, you ideally want uh, the whole Tuka Rask, not, not ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or minster chopped. So, like, anyway, I found that amusing that they waved Keith Kincaid's like, oh, backups being the issue, being the issue for, for a Claude team. Weird. But I, I was genuinely certain that that Claude was getting fired after that game, and somehow that hasn't happened. On the other hand, there's a possibility that Molson's told Bergevin you're not allowed to do things because you're out of the because you're out the door at the end of the season, fucko. 
which really should be the answer because like Bergevin's been the GM for a long time. And how's that gone for the Habs? I think quite well. <laughs> I like it. I said for the Habs, not from our perspective <laughs> as Bruins fans. <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I'm I'm a real big Habs fan for what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing great work out there, getting recognized for it more and more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they can. Honestly, I think they should sign Bergevin to a an extension. Keep Claude the entire time. I mean, did you just throw a t- Trump paraphrase in there? <laughs> I did, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I, I broke out the, the, the Trump Frederick Douglass there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> You're hearing more and more about it. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We can talk a little bit more about the Habs in a little bit. But I do, since we were talking about the physicality that was directed at Pasternak and what the, the bottom six and some defensemen should be redirecting, towards other skilled players on other teams. You said that Ty Anderson and others have said something similar. Ty's thing was basically, it's like, no, the Brewers don't have a toughness problem. And and his points are ones that I sort of mentioned in our in, in, our, in our DM thread there. It's like, this team is, is, has players that are tough as fuck. I mean, like, you can't go around calling a player, that a team that employs Zidane Ochara, Kevin Miller in concept. <laughs> Now, he is one guy that was ground to a fine powder, <laughs> and that's not also the ideal way to have Kevin Miller. <laughs> but also, Chris Wagner and David Backus and Brett Ritchie and Carlo's got some serious fucking snarl these days. And Tory Krug is an absolute lunatic. He's one tough motherfucker and doesn't get the credit he deserves for it. We saw it during the playoffs last year, you know, the whole getting dragged down by David Perrin and then stealing Robert Thomas's soul. I think that you really need to have that picture, like, in your, like, I don't know, in your living room. Probably not a picture for the bedroom. No. To be fair. It, it could be a good picture for your bedroom if you, if yeah. you need some motivation. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 and then, of course, Patrice Bergeron's played through things that would kill a lesser man. This, this team is tough as fuck. So, like, the notion that this team isn't tough enough is such horseshit. I don't think that – I don't even think that's what it is. I don't think that the team isn't tough enough. I just feel like maybe they need to assert themselves a little bit more in some respects. I'm not saying fight. I'm saying just let other players know, like, hey, I'm here. They, they, need, they need to be the ones setting the terms of physicality rather than letting their opponents set the terms. Because that, that was the core problem in the, in the Stanley Cup final. It wasn't that – the Blues overpowered them, is that the Blues were setting the terms on physicality. Yes, Char's broken jaw, Kevin Miller being dead, and Chris Wagner, bro- Chris Wagner's broken arm, all were major factors there. Yep. But. I mean, I can understand. It's like, Sean Crowley cannot fight. <laughs> Just, he's tried. He's It's so cute when he tries, but please don't. It's also too pretty to take fist to the face. I know, but you know what? I think he needs to put the bubble back on, so we need to come up with an excuse. Honestly, though, I think we can just blame, like anything else, we can just blame Tuca for this. He's not tough enough. He's not. He's not. He's not getting enough hits. He's not. He's not fighting enough. I thought we were for stuff these days. <laughs> <laughs> or is it Krug? I can't. Or, or Krejci? I can't keep up. Oh, uh, we're God. supposed to blame Heinen for everything because, like, he's got no value. <laughs> Uh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. 
I'm one of those people who will tell you I don't understand Heinen's game. Every time I try to sit there and watch Heinen specifically, I get distracted. Because <laughs> it's not like an exciting game to watch. He's just doing what they say. He's doing the little things. And it's like it drives people crazy. And people don't want to necessarily watch the little things all the time. I think his game is similar to Krejci's in some respects. But Krejci's been a lot more explosive this year than maybe in past years. But anyway, my point is, is that I would like a little toughness. I think that some people, look, Carly can hit. He just don't, don't fight, you know? Wagner, you're okay. You can fight and hit and whatever. Gee, Richie, I thought you were here to like chuck some nuts and like really hit the shit out of everything. Well, well here's the thing about Britt Ritchie. And th- I saw this, someone mentioned this in a tweet, in some th- response thread to someone, I don't remember who, and, and I really hit home. He's like, you know who Britt Ritchie is? He's Jimmy fucking Hayes. Oh. He's a God. very large man who plays small. There is nothing worse than a large player who plays small. Especially yep. one that doesn't have the skill to play like a small player. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm not wrong. Depict the wrong lurch. <laughs> this one's defective. Can we get a refund? Oh, no, because then we'll get to Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> I, I just, I want them to assert their toughness at times. Set the tone. I agreed with what was being said there. Yeah. yeah. They're getting roughed around a bit. Like players have seen, teams are seeing, it's like, we need to, you know, fuck with pasta. But. Like this, this is easily is easy to manage. It's just a matter of of doing yeah. it. Also, people are like, we want we want Tom Wilson types. Well, Tom Wilson types don't actually exist. Like he's good now, but he wasn't always actually good. He was, for the most part, until they won the cup, like a shit baggery, and that's it. Well, there's the thing. Tom Wilson turned good, but he wasn't that. He he took forever, which is on you, which is. And he will almost certainly become bad soon because that kind of player, unless they're Jerome McGinley, does. Well, if you take him off that line, how good is he? Well, as just did, if you drop, if he were dropped as even the second line, so if he was, you know, one of, if he was playing as one of uh, Backstrom's wings, he'd probably still do pretty well. But yeah, you put him on the third line with, the, or with Lars Eller, not going to happen. No. So basically, you could put a monkey. A monkey on that line with Backstrom and everything, and and then the thing I don't understand is feels like oh we should trade just just trade Backus for for, for, for Luchik. No, you need to be fucking euthanized if you think that's a good idea. No, <laughs> no Luch. Backus only has one more year. Luch has four. Also, Luch doesn't have a goal this year. He he has seven goals in his last one hundred and seven NHL games played. Can can we all just agree that Lucic was only good for a very short amount of time? An exceptionally yeah. short time. His one thirty goal season had included seven empty netters, and it was twenty eleven. It was a good season to do it because, although remember, Lucic wasn't actually any good during that playoff run, despite Krejci being the playoff leading scorer. It was all Krejci and Horton. Lucic was just sort of there. And then Lucic got worse. Yes, and again, that oh, was his only thirty goal season, and it involved an, inor- an inordinately large number of empty netters. I believe that Luch is only like what thirty-one. Yeah, eighty-eight. Yeah, same same draft class as Marshawn. Yeah, yeah. He he's only that age, and I thought he hit thirty like five years ago. Well, there's the thing. He looks even worse than Bacchus, and Bacchus is is four years older. (laughs) 
So no, we're no on Lucic. I mean, that's exactly what he's saying. Don't go for these other players that either do exist and they're terrible or don't exist. Our team is fine. Our team is fine. We just need to do some things a little differently. That's all. I mean, we do need a second line right wing eventually, which I think we'll probably somehow or another get it uh, through the trade deadline. And I don't know how we're well, doing this it. Well, this trade deadline, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be Toffoli because I did some legwork. Oh, my God. The, the There is no right wingers or there are hardly any right wings or right shot centers that are going free agent this year that are worth a damn. Like a lot of like really old guys that you don't want. Right. Um, so it's going to be Tyler I mean, Toffoli unless, and I would like this idea better, Palmieri with one year left. Oh, and his best friend Chris Wagner is on the Bruins. Oh, let's get all the best friends together. Everyone's saying it's like Sweeney's preference is to get someone with a little bit of term left, right? Now, I don't really think there's any scenario you resign Palmieri like you just did Coyle, but you get him for another year. After this, Bruins have quite a bit of cap space going into next year, especially if, you know, certain things get – if certain developments involving David Beck has happened. Not that I expect them to, but – But, yeah. Yeah, I think I'd like that better because, I mean, Foley's fine and all, but, like, I, it just doesn't – it doesn't breed any confidence in me. Like, Yes, let me bring this up. The 20, he's 21. He, He's a player. Yeah, so he's right wing. The right wings that come that go UFA this year. Now, notice some of these names are people that are not relevant in any capacity. Ryan Callahan, Nathan Horton, David Clarkson. So the first three, the highest cap hits, are all dead. Mike Hoffman, Florida's not trading Hoffman to us unless they crater. Wayne Simmons, he's Simmons is washed. Tyler Toffoli, Craig Smith, Nemesnikov. Dodonov, again, Florida, not happening. Johan Franzen, also dead. Patrick Aves, also dead. And then after that, like, the highlights going down the rest of the list are like Aves, or, or like Ryan Reeves, <laughs> Zach Cassian, Jesper, Jesper Faust, Corey Perry. You want no part of any of these. So Do not... Um, do not put Ryan Reeves in the fan in the fans' heads. They will want Ryan Reeves because he's a puncher. Like so, so of that of that list, there is four guys that I would want any part of. To and at least two of them are guaranteed not available to Boston, and the third might not be available at all. And that's Hoffman, Toffoli, Smith, and Dodonov are the only ones in that list I want any part of. Um, so basically, it's Toffoli, uh, unless you get someone with term, which means Palmieri. All right. Well. And, and clearly, they need the, the jersey needs to just blow it the fuck up, right? So why not? <laughs> well, they, they they already know that Taylor Hall is going to go somewhere else. And then, and I think the chatter is basically is like they should just trade all of their UFAs, which would include guys like Botten and Andy Green, uh, Simmons, and so forth. But also, I know I think it's I'm ninety seven point eight percent sure. It's just all Jimmy Murphy. He's keeps beating the Bruins are interested in Hall Drum. I'm just like they don't have the cap space. It's not happening. Pluto wrote something this week for the Athletic that explained why it's not going to happen. I mean, part of it was like it's like he's not he's it's a left wing and they can make that work and that'd be great and all, but the Bruins don't have the ammunition for it. Well, um, not, because what we, 
because the stated cost of the bottom line is we don't have a prospect that meets the criteria for the prospect to go with those firsts. No. Studnica and Vakaninen are great and all. They're not good enough to make that to get that done. Not when, you know, you got the Avs who are going to be able to bid, you know, some firsts and like sweeten it with freaking Bo and Byram or, or Alex Newhook. And, and if you think about it, this is also just not Sweeney's MO at the uh, at the trade deadline. He likes to go for uh, a solid player, but not necessarily a superstar. Rick Nash, you could argue, was a superstar at one point, but at that point in his career... The Bruins could have made a more competitive offer bid on Stone than they did. Right. And they didn't, so that really tells you a lot. And Mind also you, maybe they, they wouldn't have been because... able to sign him. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So it's like they're more likely to go for somebody who's solid. And Sweeney seems to prefer a little bit of term. He's, you know, I mean, like it's, his first three years, he got kind of burned on rentals, right? There was the Stempniak and Lyles uh, catastrophe. When in retrospect, they should have, you know, traded Kevin Miller and Louis Erickson rather than traded for anyone. Um, and then there was Drew Stafford, who got super conservative on his, his uh, second deadline. And then, goes for, and then goes for broke with Nash, and that does not work out. So, like, you, you can sort of watch him evolve how he how he handles the deadline. So, like, and I feel I agree with all the writers when they say it's like Sweeney probably wants people to term someone with another year after this. That way you get. That way you get some meat for the for what you give up. Right. Yeah, because it would have been nice if uh, Johansson had another year on his deal. <sighs> yeah, I, I was not sold on him until we saw him in the playoffs. And yeah, I agree. And he went to Buffalo for so cheap and it just, it hurts, doesn't you it? You know, Buffalo's cratering. So like maybe they could just get Johansson again. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, his contract's not that bad. It really isn't. You you do some maneuvering. You figure it out. But yeah, and he liked being on this team. Yeah, he's only four. He's only four point five million. So like, oh my god, we could have the full Swedish house mafia. We could have Nordy. We could have Lindholm, and we could have Johansson or Johansson or however he's saying it this week. Oh my god, like all Sweden, little Sweden, come back to little Sweden. <laughs> Yeah, I would like that. I would like that a lot. You could either go like, oh man, you could probably you'd probably in that case, what move high into the second line and have Bjork, Coyle, Johansson. Johansson. I I say maybe the team doesn't make a play. I, I want to see this team run for a while with a forward group that looks something like well, okay, perfection line. Krejci. Oh no, with... you're using that. I need sure. I need a shorthand. <laughs> mm. Okay, Bergeron line, Krejci, Krejci and DeBrusque with with Heinen, and then a third line of of Coyle centering centering Bjork and Sinishin. I think like, we've only had a week where we've had the full Bergeron and the full Krejci line. Whatever that is. Like I want to see a top nine that looks like that for for a good for a extended run, right? Sedition was looking good. Bjork's clearly figured it out, at least more or less. You know, he's not scoring as much as you might like, but he looks good out there. He's got his shit together. I liked him but I liked him better with Crowley than I did with Lindholm. Well yeah. Lindholm is where when Lindholm's on the ice, all offense for both teams dies. 
I mean, I'll take that. That's perfectly fine for a fourth line player. If you roll a fourth line player out and nothing happens at all, that's that that's that's for most fourth lines a win. Lindholm <laughs> is hockey death. Comes out, you know, with his scythe and his big <laughs> wool cloak, black wool cloak cloak, and if he touches you or the puck, everything dies. He's basically if Guy Boucher was actually a player rather than a, rather than a Bond villain slash coach. <laughs> I like picturing death on the ice with a 26 on his back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks at the other team. I feel like you are below par. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we should move on from this. Should we talk about some games really quickly? Yeah, we had... How many games did we have this week? Jesus, like four games? Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about that Habs game. That was fantastic. Uh, I love it when we beat the, the Habs. Me too. The Habs thought, hey, we're going to win this one. We scored first. And then, um, and then the second period happened with nothing, no goals. So fantastic. And the Bruins did the what, what they're... What they've been doing for a little bit now, where they're like, oh, no, no. In the third, we've decided that we're going to come back and play. Scored three goals. Backus! Backus on the power play! Yeah. Like, like that goal was great and an awesome story. I don't particularly want to see Backus on the power play ever again, but, like, we got results there, so that's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it, it worked. It was the game-winning goal. It was great. You know, and then it basically debrusque, um sealed the deal i mean what what that game was more known was for just taking runs at pasta and the douchiness the douchiness of the habs god the they douchey. Yeah. Oh, yeah but like it's hilarious though because like pasta's goal was just just fucking funny he was on the ice literally alone and he looked at me he's like well i got no one to sell you for okay fine are you not entertained <laughs> and then they made Which that a better sell if we were on montreal ice also, they made that the wall, uh, wallpaper this week, too, with the Wallpaper Wednesday. And it actually says, are you not entertained in the wallpaper? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Pasta was just like, uh, I'm going to go score the goals. That's what I do. I score goals. And then all of his teammates, it, like, changed out. <laughs> well, that's just oh. all the other four off the ice. <laughs> Speaking of Pasta, like, scoring goals and things like that. Uh, Tori Krug had an all-time chirp for pasta. It was before the game yesterday, I think. So Brad Marchand posted a picture on Instagram, and it was uh, pasta whispering in Marchand's ear. And it's and Marsh and Brad said, "I think this is where Pasta told me, Marshy, I'm not telling you again. If I if you have a breakaway, you drop it to me, and I score." And then Tori Krug replied to the caption saying, "I've given David Pasternak like three breakaways in the last week, and he hasn't scored once. I'll probably try to force the pass to him still anyway." <laughs> Tori, he obviously doesn't like you. <laughs> So, Pasta, Tori's mad that you're giving up his assists and not scoring. Yeah. Well, I mean, Pasta's in a little bit of a scoring drought. Not from this game. Yeah. 
we'll find out a little bit more in a little bit. But anyway, yeah, the Habs were super douchey. Um, we already described that whole Shea Weber, Gallagher stupidity. Uh, JD ended up, uh, Jake DeBrusque ended up fighting Gallagher, so he got thrown in the box too. And so much fun. So much fun. I love fiery Jake DeBrusque. Mm, it would have been great if Nazem Kadri would have been in that game yesterday. <laughs> Unfortunately, he is hurt, in quotation marks. He might be genuinely hurt, I don't know, but whatever. It also might be feeling, so it could be that. Mm. Okay, so rematch of the Canes versus the Bees. Remember when um, they they uh, met up in the uh, Eastern Conference Final? And uh, I should have said that the Bruins would have it in four, but I went with five and I was wrong by one game. Well, Canes came in and uh, they lost two to nothing. Nope, nothing happened the first couple periods, really at all. It was kind of a dry game, and then, uh, and then instead of nothing happening, Charlie Coyle and David Krejci happened. But 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 wait a minute. More importantly, before that, the one thing that did happen was that uh, Jacob is it Jacob or Jakob Slavin? I don't know. It's a Jacob weird Slavin. Okay. he's an American, so. Oh, he is. <laughs> oh, okay, the way it's despite spelled, the bizarre spelling, yeah, yeah, the way it's spelled would make me say it was Jakob. But anyway, he um he did shoot on goal but it went through the netting from the side from the side and that's you know what even joe said well that's something i've never seen before <laughs> not in a pro game <laughs> no, no usually uh, they're no. going to be better about the netting than that because uh that's not an angle you're taking a slapper that's going to punch through the netting on so like basically it's just a fail also Watching that game, I love initially how the commentators were like, wow, that's like an impossible angle. Can't believe we got that in there. And then they look at the replay. Oh, that's why. <laughs> oh, he didn't get it in there. <laughs> it, it, it was hilarious because it's like Halak immediately was like, it went through the side of the net. There's a hole. And it's like you can see like you can see the black of the puck around roping of the netting, you know, and of course they go out and they fix it temporarily. And then. You know, in, in between periods, they actually replace that part of the netting or replace the netting in that. So, yes. So, remember, that happened. I've never seen that before. There we go. Uh, but, you know, Joe did say that, uh, you know, refs did keep some extra, like, string, like a shoelace or something in their pocket, just in case something like that happened. Shoelace, that seems inefficient. Why aren't they running around with, with uh, zip ties for that? That seems like the... yeah. It seems like the easy, the fast and easy approach. I don't know. I don't know. Why did they, until like a couple of years ago, like look at replay on a tiny, tiny phone <laughs> on an iPhone? Because the NHL? Right. So <laughs> Again, remember, whenever given the opportunity to sit on their own balls, the NHL will do so. So like, yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah. In fact, you don't even need to give them the opportunity. They'll seize the opportunity to sit on their balls whenever they see it, whether it's actually, you know, <laughs> real or not. <laughs> Sadomasochism is real. Anyway, okay. So now the third period. Yes, Coil and Krejci happened. And all of that was beautiful. And we saw, in this game, we saw the dawning of the marshy coil Heinen line for about 11 minutes. I mean, that got us a goal, so. Yep. Krejci and, and Pasta got to play together, and that also got another goal. So that was interesting, but th those lines were not to be for very, very long. They tried that in the next game. 
And it, yeah. didn't, it didn't really work that well. I mean, I love Cassidy and his blender aptitude. Love it when he just throws people out on the ice and hopes it works. <laughs> yeah, that game against the Hawks was hard to watch. Yeah. I feel like Cassidy would be a bartender in another life just for the blenders. I mean, like that Blackhawks game, like it's great and all that they they they, they pulled they pulled the third period rally, but uh well, it didn't really work out. No. No. Although, it's interesting. I think this is one of the first games where I've seen each team get a shorthanded goal. <laughs> yeah. The Hawks got that in the first period. That was their first goal. And then Wagner got the shorthanded goal in the uh, third period, which was uh, was nice. It, it actually led them to coming back or not. I mean, I guess Nordy's was the first and then they got the second. But anyway, it was great that they came back and Krug, your boy Krug, got them all tied up. But at overtime period, very short. 54 seconds. What the hell happened to Pasta? Did he just trip over himself? Because everybody was like, oh, Taves tripped him or whatever. I'm like, I, I don't know. There's there's only one angle, and it just looks like Pasta just fell down. <laughs> no, it looks like Pasta was trying to draw a call because it looked like Taves could have potentially tripped like tripped him up with his own stick, with, with Taves' stick. And it looks like Pasta was trying to draw the call, didn't get it, and then they just went. Yeah, yeah. You know, for a while we're like we've been amused by the Bruins coming back in games and winning them. I, I've been avoiding avoiding saying the obvious about that for a couple of weeks now. That it's like this team has no business getting this many wins right now because they were not playing that well. They were just you know they're having a really good fucking time rallying, and that's great and all. But like, fuck. And then that's a solid segue into last night's game. <laughs> yes. Uh, the shock, the Chicago game was uh, a warning. And then last night's game was a calamity. It, it was technically a hockey game. And somehow, and somehow it was even, even on the shots, both teams had 20 on goal, which, Oh my God. I like, I'm glad I didn't see this game because both teams only have 20 shots on goal. That must be a fucking dry game. You said that that Toronto game that they played earlier this season uh, up in Toronto, it was a Friday night game. You said that that was soul-sucking hockey. No, sir. Last night's game was soul-sucking hockey. Because you could say whatever you want to say about the defensive efforts of each team. The Bruins couldn't fucking pass. And, and and catch a pass on a stick. So many of those. And it wasn't because they were being redirected. It's They just couldn't do it. They couldn't? No. Here's the thing. Here's my thing about the game. It sucked. They played shitty. They couldn't do anything. But here's my thing about that. And this is why I'm not really... I'm taking... I'm not really... I don't really care necessarily much about last night's loss. Because Bergeron wasn't in there. And they're going to be getting them back soon. And it's still only the team's fourth loss in regulation all year. And, and we're and, and, almost 30 games in. And a half of them are to the hat and half of them are to the ads. Yeah. Well, yes. yeah. Okay. I'm not upset about last night's game, Tim. Okay. I, I guess okay. I sound like I'm upset. It's, it's the logical end point of a trend that's been going on for a few weeks. Right. It just right. has somehow not happened until now. I think I'm not upset about the loss per se. I'm not upset that it happened. I'm not upset that they lost to the the abs. The abs are for real. 
unfortunately, the Avs had injuries and those guys have come back. So that kind of sucks. But what I'm upset about is that I sat through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you, when you're sitting at the game. Okay, when you sit at the game and you paid for the game, you sit there with a different attitude, and you're just like, I, I'm familiar with with, with the, the attitude ones, and ends up with at a game at a bad game that you that you paid to be at. Right, you know, it's like so you sit there and you watch the Bruins just stumble over themselves unable to do the basic things they should be able to do, right? We're not talking about four checks and back checks and all that stuff. We're not talking about sticks getting in the way. We're talking about the Bruins just being fundamentally unable to help each other out, okay? It was frustrating to watch having paid for that game. That's the only reason why I'm somewhat upset about it. Did I have fun before the game meeting up with some friends? Yep, I did. Did I do my best to enjoy the game? Yep. Did I say some nasty, sarcastic stuff during the game? I sure did. Uh, my husband called me a monster during the game, which <laughs> some people would take as an insult. I am mixed on it. I, I always consider myself a monster, but I'm like the furry kind, the fun kind, Sesame Street kind. Anyway... Uh, and why did, he, why did he call me a monster? Because I suggested when an abs player was on all fours blocking three Bruins from getting at a puck that they just threatened to knock his teeth in. <laughs> and and my, my husband goes, oh, you would absolutely do that. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> Here's the thing about that, though. The Avs do that an awful lot where they hold the puck at in the boards with people trying to get at it and they just don't move. They do that an awful lot. Like I didn't I just I've never noticed it so much as I did in that game. Because like it seemed like almost every few minutes there was an Avs player with holding his skate against the puck against the board and the Bruins are whacking at it for three minutes trying to get it out, but and the ref's not calling anything. He's like, Nope, play on. We're gonna let this shit happen and you're just like, What is happening? I figure the guy is fair game at that point. You, you're you whacking away at him anyway. So, like, I'm just going to be like, hey, dude, you keep up like this. I'm just going to whack your teeth in. Like I said. Yeah. Uh, like my husband said, you would absolutely do that and you're a monster. So we know, I have said before, I don't play fair. I'm not playing nice. <laughs> That's what I would do. So, yes. So did we have fun in that respect? Yes. But there were Avs fans in front of us and they didn't have the common decency to wear any Avs colors. And I hate that. Oh. Don't disguise yourself. Did they have Nords stuff on? No, they had flannels on. Oh, that's too bad. I have a, in college, my senior year college, one of my roommates um, is a huge Avs fan and he, um, didn't always wear Avs stuff when he went to like Avs Bruins in Boston. He would wear his Sackic Nordiques jersey, which I mean is cool in itself. So it's, it's fine. It's fine. Well, anyway, that's the only reason why I'm just like, because it's like now I've been to two Bruins games. Well, actually, I've seen a whole bunch of Bruins games. Like I've seen, I've seen them win by like four goals, all scored by pasta. I've seen them win a game outright. I've seen them lose in overtime when they should have won the game. And then I just saw them outright lose yesterday. So I just, I get, when I, when I show up to a game, I just want you guys to show up too. That's all. That's all. 
Um, so anyway, yeah, I got my calendar, though, and I'm very happy about that. We're done talking about games. Thank God. Now, I do want to talk about a couple of other things, and I'm sure that we have some similar things to talk about here. All right, you guys can chime in. Bruce Cassidy. Remember last week when we were talking about coaches? Mm-hmm. And uh, bad behavior. Definitely bad, harmful behavior that causes coaches to go over the lines. Matt Kalman talked to Bruce Cassidy this week. Maybe other players did too, but this is where I got it from Matt Kalman. And I'm really realizing now that this the formatting on this printout is really fucked up, but whatever. So this is what Bruce Cassidy had to say. Never when it comes to, you know, saying inappropriate racial comments. I've never put my hands on a player. I shouldn't say that. I've given players hugs in the past that have had a tough day. But I would call that harmless, he said. You know, you always wonder what what's the next thing that would get looked into. I think I would be considered a demanding coach, but fair. The players would have to answer that. But I don't think it has ever been in the form of name calling or I guess what you would call crossing the line. It's more of a challenge to play better. And sometimes they don't always like the honest part of it. But I don't think that's crossing the line. So I know that you read something on John Tortorella. Yes. So Aaron Portsline, yeah, with, with The Athletic, had a, had a very, very long form piece on uh, John Tortorella. You know, figuring it's like, OK, you know, we're having this 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 uh this is a bit of reckoning. Yep. And uh, Tortorello is the sort of coach that a lot of people immediately thought, oh, he's probably done some bad things because the man's got himself a temper. <laughs> so so um, uh, Portsline went to great lengths. He, he interviewed a few current players, including Brendan Dubinsky, who's played for Tortorella with two different teams. Oh, with the Rangers? Right, Rangers, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, as well as some other players, a diversity of players, players that hated him and, were, and didn't want to comment much, like John Scott. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so retired players, current players, players that liked him, players that are eh, players that didn't that hated him. Everyone said that no, I have you know Scott didn't have much. It's like it's like it's been well documented my problems with the, with John Tortorella, but unequivocally, nothing like the allegations against Peters were ever one of them. Right. And Vic, and I think Dubinsky sort of explains like, yeah, those other occasions when he did that, you know, all those times he had that, that he got really nasty with with the Rangers press, and of course the the locker room charge incident when he wanted to fight Bob Hartley. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone agreed that it was always he always lost his mind. It was never at his players. It was always at other people. And Dubinsky, after giving it some thought, he's like, and it was because she was. Doing it, other people protecting his players. Like you know, a lot of the cases when he was sparring with with um with, with the um, uh, New York with the media were about play them criticizing certain players, and that the whole um, uh, Hartley incident was 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 inspired by some nice hooliganry too, right? So basically, the conclusion was is that he's just Red Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> From the way it sounded, it sounded like uh, he's uh, he's just a dad. Yeah, he's protecting his cubs. You know? Yeah. And, and you know how dads are. Dads, when you do stupid shit, they'll just tell you that you're a dumbass. Well, they'll tell you you're a dumbass. They'll threaten to put their foot up your ass, but they won't actually do it. Again, John Tortorella is, is Red Foreman. This is quite clear at this point. <laughs> now, there were some comments that he made about Duclair last season. 
But even Declare said that, like, you know what? He never crossed the line, crossed any of those those abusive lines. He didn't like my game, and that's fair. And I wanted out, and I got out. Whatever. Okay, okay. Because I wanted to. Because du- du- Declare was one of the people they t- they reached out to. They made a point of doing people that were like publicly known to have been to have clashed. Um. So I think I can't remember if there were some comments from uh, Yannick Hansen. There were because he talked to some people from when he was with the. Uh, Thing with the Canucks too, right? The idea being like, okay, no one that was with the co- that he coached with the Canucks is going to have something good to say about him. But uh, that was such a short tenure. It was like one year, one, right? One year, one year, and it completely nukes the team from orbit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cost well, Gillis's job. Cost Gillis's job as well. I'm glad that that Duclair settled the air there because those comments last year, I have a feeling that a lot of them were taken out of context. And we don't we don't know because we were not there. And if Duclair can arrive at the conclusion that he didn't like his game and that's that's it, then that's good because that's In bottom line is you gotta remember uh Duclair is currently playing for his fifth organization. And he seems to be okay in, uh, with the senators. He seems to be Yes. But my point is is clearly Duclair has been a problem. A lot of teams have clearly decided this isn't worth – this guy isn't worth the energy is probably the way to put it. Not the trouble necessarily, the energy. I mean, well, no, the Rangers didn't didn't trade him to get rid of him. They traded him. He was the main currency to get Keith Yandel. So fair enough. That trade was not about Duclair at all. All of his subsequent ones were. Yeah. I remember <laughs> being excited that he was going to play with Max Domi because they looked so good in, in the uh, juniors uh, world championship. And they did that first season together, too. Yeah. And then both of them just trailed right off for the rest of their time in in Arizona. I think, you know, when it comes down to it with young players, it can be a maturity issue. It can be just not taking to the coaching. It can be a lot of things. Or, But I think that, you know, on his fifth team, he's probably – worked on himself a little bit i hope so -hmm. that he's receptive to what he's being given because i mean when you're on your fifth team he's like under 25 right yeah that's not great so you don't want to keep burning bridges that's what i'm saying so i don't want to keep putting i don't i want to pile on duclair he's he's having a, a pretty decent year in in uh in ottawa good for him i hope he's figured it out I mean, landing in Ottawa worked out well for him anyway. He did. He had a pretty good close to the season last year, too, partly because he was going to get great minutes because who the fuck else was going to take them? <laughs> right. But I definitely <laughs> wanted to clarify that thing with Tortorella because, you know, I know last year that came up and it was it was a touchy subject. It really was. But good. Can we just see coaches like can we see them? They're not all bad. Uh, they do some things that you may not like that you don't respond to, but that the guys who they coach are okay with. And as long as they're not being abusive in any way, verbally or physically, or I'm hoping it's not a widespread problem. That's all. Yes. Um, and I think the big thing there to take home with Tortorella is like, okay, he's hard. He's hard. And if he's not happy with you, you're going to know it and you're going to have a rough time, but he's just going to cost you minutes. And power play time. It's not gonna. He's not gonna absolutely. He, he's not. He's not gonna throw the book at you. Right. The worst. And that's thing- an important caveat, right? So, like, there's there's a difference between a hard and an abusive coach. And Tortorella is clearly walking that line almost expertly. Could you imagine yeah. Ryan O'Reilly playing for him? <laughs> oh boy! I want out. He's made me not want to play hockey anymore. Oh, you 
okay, fine, healthy scratch. <laughs> I think though, out of all this coach stuff, the worst thing I, the worst take I saw out of all of it was, oh, what's his name? That dude in Toronto, Damien something. Oh, oh Damien Cox. Damien Cox, that was bad. He's like, if I'm an, he was like, if I'm an NHL coach, I have to assume all conversations with players are on record now. And it's like, I mean, if you're not a shitty person, you don't have to worry. Like, come on. I saw so many variations on that as a response to him, which is absolutely correct. If you're not a shitty person, then you don't have to worry about it. Nobody's going to talk about what you talk about. Exactly. I kind of wonder if Cox and Steve Simmons are just sort of a permanent, like, have a permanent bet to see who can hold my beer, the other one worse. (laughs) (laughs) How how can you be so persistently wrong, so consistently on the wrong side of things? I mean, Uh. I mean, our our market has hags and more or less and sort of has Jimmy Murphy. So, like, don't scratch the couch. Oh, that's standing. <laughs> our market has hags and Jimmy Murphy and KPD. KPD had a doozy this week too, if I recall, um, in terms of just profound wrongness. Oh, he, yeah, he's he's doubled down on stupidity with the whole coaching thing recently too. Oh no, it was the Don Cherry thing that's what it was that he doubled down on the stupidity where he was like, the only thing I fear now worse than cherry being fired is that they replace him with an analytics person. Oh, like, yeah, that's a few weeks ago. Yeah. God. But, but isn't hags like advocating for the, the Bruins to get another, like, I don't know, enforcer type enforcers aren't a thing anymore. Really, Hags really. loves his enforcers. Enforcers, yeah. He called them a Literally. unicorn. Well, you see, he did that. The tide just like they just body slammed him. It's like, yeah, they're a unicorn because you can't fucking find them because they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> that's me being ties. That's me being ties anger translator because he was much more diplomatic in his reply. But that's basically what he was saying. <laughs> he kind of has to, because I'm sure that Hags would whine to somebody at 98.5 about him. You know that he would oh, do yeah. that. He would not, he would not go up to Ty Anderson and say, Hey, I have a problem with you, bud. He would go and complain to management, even though it's his personal Twitter. To, to Ty's credit, I think people have asked him about Hags and he said, Hags is actually a decent person, like in general, in person, like that, he helped him like a lot, like getting into the business in terms of like feeling comfortable and things like that. But I doubt he would ever say on the record. I would be interesting to see if like someone you know could personally ask him, like, so what, what's it? How frustrating is it working on someone who's ostensibly the 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 leader of your field in your in your market? Being so consistently and belligerently wrong. He is the president of the pro uh, pro hockey writers of Boston or something. So yeah, yeah, Hags Yeah, yes, he is. He has been for some time now. My guess is because no one else wants the job. Oh fuck me! I didn't know that. That's... I think it's a ceremonial thing that doesn't really mean anything. But you know, keep in mind, keep in mind, the president of. Entire, the entire association was one of those really awful writers from from Edmonton. Oh, so it's like the assistant manager. 
Yeah. <laughs> What am I trying to say here? Um, I think with Ty Anderson, it's kind of a, a thing where it's like he started out not knowing a lot of stuff. Hags helped him out a lot uh, in the business. And then now it's like he has like a friendly contempt for him where it's like he's friendly with the dude, but he realizes how wrong Hags is almost all the time. And I think that I think part of Hags thing is not I think it's very much a vulgar thing. Where it's just like, I am going to say something stupid. Because this gets me clicks. I mean, his his his, his Twitter handle is literally is, 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 is literally hacks with hags. Like, he knows what he is. And I, 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 I do... And, and so he, he clearly knows what he is, to an extent. But then at the same time, he also clearly thinks he's the best sports writer on the planet. <laughs> yeah... It's up there with Jimmy Murphy, who seems to think he's right occasionally, even despite the you know preponderance of evidence that says otherwise. Yeah, Jimmy and Murphy might we, actually be delusional. I mean, he started his own he started his own website after like being fired, probably from every avenue. Like he has like what is it, Boston Sports Now or Boston Hockey Now? I don't know. I just know that. I know he was talking to uh, he. Had, this video is up on YouTube. Um, uh, he was talking to Achari. Achari had been here by by at that point like two or three years. He couldn't even get his name right. Oh, I it wasn't even like a cherry. It was like he got his name fully wrong. And I was and <laughs> Achari is like trying to keep it together at that point. Ugh, it's terrible. I mean, if you don't even know how to say the names of the players who have been here for a while, what the fuck are you doing? Seriously. I mean, yeah, and also, at least, like, to be fair, along the lines of hacks of ha- hacks with hags, he knows what he is as well. I mean, his Twitter handle is Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And pretty much anything that he can be wrong about, he will be wrong about. Yeah. Anytime he so, can be wrong, anytime he can be wrong, he will be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he he doesn't exactly um he doesn't exactly hide it either. Okay. Now that we've talked about all of that fun stuff, I got one more thing to lay on you. From Connor Ryan in in one of the many articles on the Boston Sports Journal this week. He's talking about how Cassidy is impressed with Anders Bjork's game, but is considering maybe at some point moving him back over to the right side. So, he's found himself over there, Cassidy said of Bjork, skating on the right. He's a player that likes to move and be creative, so he's... Uh, going to find himself over there even if we start him on the left that's fine as long as he's in and out of the danger areas I think he's done a really good job of that and then he goes on to say Cassidy has been hesitant to break up the 63-37-88 line when all three are accounted for but if Bjork stands as a viable right wing option could it prompt the B's bench boss to give Pasternak an extended look on the second line with Krejci so basically even though we have been talking about this at times this year about how 
Cassidy wanted Bjork to stand the left side. He was sent down to Providence to work on being a left winger, his natural side. And he's been doing that. He finds himself on the other side at times and he seems to be doing okay with it. So he might give him a look. What do you think about that? No. Just he's Bjork has had this resurgence and this gain this confidence getting back to the side he normally played, which was the left. Why so, change that um, up? I'm assuming this scenario would involve Heinen playing three left wing and then three right wing, which would be ever whichever warm body they happen to plug in that day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's so hard to tell at this point because we have so many bodies on the pile, it seems. <laughs> and a few of them are tepid at best, but they're still, you know, bodies. I I got to tell you, I'm not sure I understand why he would do this. Um, because Bjork, I think, is working out really well at left wing. Sure, he finds himself on the right side. He did last night, too. But, you know, I think he should... I think this is like, this feels like the longest we've had Bjork in the lineup in years. And let's just well, yes. keep him, let's keep him at left wing for this season. And then if we, uh, if uh, then maybe next season we can do that. Well, if Bjork th- seems to think that playing on the right part of why he got a shoulder injured twice, then like, why would you do that? Yeah. Unless the fact that he recognizes it now means he knows that he needs to change how he plays on the right. Right. But then if and if that's the case, you like you may have like this weird feeling out period of Bjork on the right side again where he's not playing well. It may take him some time to get used to it again. Like so why I I just don't see why messing with it. The Red Sox did something similar like this with um, Xander Bogarts trying to move him to third base when he was playing well at shortstop, and it like ruined him for a season or two until he like they were like, all right, you're gonna just play shortstop. We're not gonna we're not gonna screw with it, and now it's working out in their favor. Don't screw with it. Don't screw with what's working. Like the team has its own problems to figure out. Don't create another one by trying to fix one. Right now, I'm just not sure that right wing, second line right wing. I'm not sure that's solvable in-house. That's the way I look at it. I know he's wanted Bjork to be on the right wing um, with with uh, Martian and Bergeron for a while. You know, and th- there were some good results there early, but they weren't sustainable because Bjork kept getting hurt. I'm not sure I want to put him there. Uh, you know, third line left wing right now, it's probably not a bad place for him. Sure, it's like he has limited minutes, but uh, you know what? Minutes right now. Uh, playing a full season, I think, is more important for him than uh, however minutes he gets a night. Honestly. How, yeah, his, his minutes and his points are, are secondary for him. Yeah, it's playing through. Right, right. So I, I just, I'm I'm resistant to it. I'm, I'm, I'm very conservative on this notion. I, I think we'll solve the right wing problem at some point. Uh, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating, and I don't think it's going to be in-house. That's all. But I just wanted to see what you thought about that, because it's like, um, uh, the thing I like about Connor Ryan is, like, he doesn't write about all the same things that everybody else writes. 
So this was something that he was tracking this week. That's nice because like a lot of the time I'll go through, I'll make my rounds and I'll read, you know, variants of the same article from Ty, from, from Kalman and from, uh, and from Fluto. You know, all of them bring something else, something different to the to, to it. I think Kalman's the one that contributes the least unique of the three, usually, but not always. He's the older of them. He's he's he's, he's just a pure reporter, I think. Whereas the others do a lot more analysis than than Kalman does. He's part of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's found his uh, after bouncing around for a while. I mean, he's still doing freelancing for NHL Network, but he's found a gig at, and Forbes at, as well, too. Yeah. I feel like 90% of Forbes is just freelancers. Probably. That seems like a way that a place like Forbes would operate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and he also, his main gig is at EEI. Uh, and he also has uh, the, the podcast, which is really, um, it's interesting. It's a short podcast, so it's nice. Um, you can, you know, dedicate part of your ride home or your lunch to it. Uh, got to hear from Dennis Zeidenberg that one time. So that was pretty good. Um, of course, I still absolutely love the hockey show, the two-hour hockey show on uh, on uh, 98.5, because Saturday mornings, and you get to hear that, that's that's a great way to, to be. But anyway, my point is this, um, you know, it's good to have all sorts of voices in here. It really is, uh, even if they all have similar but a little bit different takes on everything um i really enjoy a lot of the reporters involved with the team right now because a lot of them uh, a lot of them seem to get along really well with each other so that's fun uh when they they can joke around they can talk it it doesn't seem so much competitive so much as it seems like they all support each other in some way and i think that's great you know except for hags he doesn't seem to support anybody (laughs) I don't think, except for Jimmy Murphy and, well, no thanks. But anyway, uh, so I guess we're all agreed on Anders Bjork. Stay on the left side, Anders, Anders, whatever your name is. Bjork. Bjork, Bjork. All right, so anything else that we have that we want to talk about? No, that about runs it, I think. All right, so we get to talk about the schedule. Okay, folks, so, of course, reminding you, we're talking to you from December 18th, 2019, December 8th. Apparently, I'm ten, I'm, I'm 10 days from now, but the rest of us are not. Yeah, you're um, already on vacation, aren't you? Uh, the 18th is two days before my vacation starts, but yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so, start off this week tomorrow. It's a, it's a week of all away games. Tomorrow, 7.30 Eastern Time at Ottawa. Oh, hey, Anthony Duclair. Yeah. And then uh, later in the week, that's Wednesday, December 11th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Caps. Oh, God, I'm not looking forward to that, but okay. Yeah. And that's followed the next day, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at Tampa. Back-to-back road games with travel. Tampa's been so mediocre, so like it it's like a two hour flight. And yeah. uh, I'm just sad that the boys won't be able to experience too much of Tampa. Good weather and stuff. Well, you don't know that oh. because of 
because their next game, two days later on the 14th, next Saturday, at 7 p.m. Eastern time, is at Florida. Oh, okay. Then never mind. I feel okay then. And then they also, follow that. They follow that with their one of two two days off, uh, more than one days off of this entire month. Right after that. So uh, you know. I also don't know that I want them to experience too much of Tampa, just because I don't want the Bucks to stink to like rub off on them. I I don't think that's going to happen, but you know. Well, it depends if they're going to really get time in Tampa. What's probably going to happen is they're going to travel right away, and they'll have two days in Sunrise. Which is just outside of uh, Miami, so that's not mm. bad. It's all right. It's all right. Just chilling for a Lauderdale for a day. That's all. Yeah, you can, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of beaches for you to burn on. Uh, lots of jellyfish. We be burning, not concerning what nobody want to say. That's a song. <laughs> <sighs> okay so okay so that was monday wednesday thursday and saturday. saturday all right there we go okay so you've been listening to barely on topic you can find us on soundcloud stitcher google play itunes Spotify, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found. You can also talk to us on Twitter, that's at Barely on Topic, or on Facebook, at Barely on Topic, uh, at Barely on Topic Podcast. <laughs> Please give us a follow on both. Also, of course, you can, you know, find us all on our individual Twitter accounts if you're that sort of masochist. I am at Dr. Hand Grenade. I am at Tim A. Richardson. And VA has a pink mustache. It's red. Yeah, I um I don't have anything clever to say this week. Dot com. At VA from RI. Right. Tim. Word. <laughs>